Welcome to the Life Together podcast. Life Together is a Wednesday gathering for worship, Bible study, and community at Discover Church in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. We hope that this week's message will encourage you and challenge you. Our mission here at Discover Church is to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. When I was eight years old, my parents were pastors in Arizona. And one of the things we would do in Arizona every summer is we would go up north for the Arizona family camp. There's actually a family camp that still occurs here in Wisconsin up at Spencer Lake. It's the first week of July. And family camp is not exactly what it sounds like because it's not just for families. It's kind of just their way of saying people of any age, right? And so it was kind of a a week that people of any, any age can come and spend time in worship, in prayer, in Bible study, and just have like a lot of church services. It's like a great way to get away and to have a lot of spiritual emphasis time. Well, in Arizona, the family camp was in a city called Prescott. And if you've never been to Prescott, and if you went there, you would be surprised that you were in Arizona because it's very different. Prescott is like at 5,000 feet sea level, so the weather's fantastic. There's evergreen trees everywhere. It's like Arizona's best attempt at being Door County. And so at the campgrounds in Prescott, there's this old chapel building. It's a lot of wood and uh, pews, and in the early 90s, it was all mauve. And I remember going there as a child, as an eight-year-old, and one night, uh, the pastor who was preaching at the end of the service said, would anyone like to come forward to be prayed for for the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Now, I grew up in Pentecostal church, so I understood what that meant. But I'm sure a lot of people in this room did not grow up in a Pentecostal church. So if you'll give me a second, let me just explain a little bit about what that is. So Pentecost is the name of the day that believers, people who followed Jesus, were first baptized in the Holy Spirit. And this happens in the Bible. Specifically, it's in the book of Acts chapter 2. I'm not making any of this up. If you want to check along with me, you can go for it. So Acts chapter 2 is 50 days after Jesus raises from the dead, which is Easter. So Easter, Penta, 5, 50 days after Easter is when there are 120 people up in this church service. They are praying, and some crazy stuff happens. So In the Bible, it tells us that in that room, they started to hear the sound of a mighty rushing wind. The Bible tells us that there were fireballs on top of everyone's head. The Bible tells us that people started to speak in languages that they didn't know. And I understand that if you're very familiar with this, you might be sitting here going, amen, yeah. And if you're not, you might be sitting here going, what? There are many Christians across the world who would be in a different denomination or groups of churches, and they would believe that all of those special things that happened in the New Testament, so things like the baptism in the Holy Spirit, things like prophecy, things like supernatural miracles, and these Christians would believe that all of those things were just meant for a specific time, and that once those people died, that those types of things also died and that those things stopped happening. Well, this church that you are part of doesn't believe that that happened that way. In in our last series, uh, we went through John chapter 14, and there's a verse in John 14 that I'd love to reread to you right now that lines up with what we're talking about. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, anyone 
who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works. Because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So if someone asks me what it means to be a Pentecostal, to be a a type of Christian who believes in the giftings of Pentecost. What does that mean? This is how I would describe it. Being Pentecostal is expecting Jesus to keep outdoing himself today. So his best work is not behind him. He promised greater things. So if it's in the Bible, it can definitely happen today. And even greater things are not just possible. Greater things are promised. So this is exciting And it's also a little intimidating. And as an eight-year-old, I wasn't a fan. Because it all just felt a little bit weird. I can imagine for anyone who walks into this church, if you walked into this church for the first time and you heard someone speaking in an unknown language, it might make you feel uncomfortable or curious or worried or make you run away. Actually, there was someone uh, this morning at our morning group who shared with me kind of a, a fantastic story of this church many, many years ago, and they had a friend, and she was Greek. And they invited her out to a Sunday night service at Discover Church, which used to be called Oak Creek Assembly of God. And so this Greek lady came out to a service on the evening service, had a great time, and at the end of the service, she was insisting that she could meet a man who was sitting a couple rows over, which was strange because she didn't know anyone else that was there. And so she went over to meet the man, and she said, this is my first time, I'm Greek, And I didn't expect I would meet anyone else who was Greek that was here, but I heard you praying. Your Greek is excellent. It's so nice to meet you. And the man said, I'm not Greek. I don't know how to speak Greek. But he was praying in the spirit, and God was revealing himself in supernatural ways. So in Arizona, at the family camp, uh, at the end of service, the pastor asks for people to come forward to be prayed for, for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. My mom leans over to me and she says, you know, Dan, would you like to go forward and get prayed for to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And I looked at her and I said, no, I would not like that. And so she compromised, as most great moms do, and she said, well, what if we just went forward and prayed for more of Jesus? I thought, okay, I I can do that. Because I loved Jesus, I had parents who loved Jesus, and Jesus was a 100% good thing. So more of a good thing always seems like a great thing. And so I said, yes, I can do that. And I remember walking forward, I remember praying for a very long time, I remember my little arms getting tired from holding them up for so long, reaching out to heaven. I remember crying, I remember the sudden realization that I wasn't speaking in English anymore. And I remember the feeling of being filled. I'm turning 40 next month, and I still have many times in my life where I feel emptied, and I have many times in my life where I feel filled. I think it is so important for every Christian to understand the power of being emptied and the power of being filled. We're going to turn in our Bibles tonight or scroll along with us to the book of 2 Kings chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 1 through 6. 
One day, the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is dead, and you know how he feared the Lord, but now a creditor has come, threatening to take my two sons as slaves. What can I do to help you? Elisha asked. Tell me what to do. What do you have in the house? Nothing at all, except a flask of olive oil, she replied. And Elisha said, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled. So she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her, and she filled one after another. Soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. Let's pray as we begin tonight. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that as we spend time in your word, that it is not a dead document, but that it can come to life through the power of your Holy Spirit, and it can transform hearts and minds. We love you. We need you to transform our hearts and our minds tonight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So today is just week two in a brand new series we just started last week called Anointed. We're talking about the anointing of the Lord. The Bible uses oil as a symbol all throughout the Bible as a symbol for the Holy Spirit. We believe that God has an anointing for your life and that God wants to saturate your soul with his spirit. We talked last week about the oil of transformation, that when God anoints you, he changes you. And tonight we're going to talk about the oil of provision, that when God anoints you, God provides for you. Elijah and Elisha are the rock star prophets of 1 Kings and 2 Kings. By the time we get to where we're at, which is 2 Kings chapter 4, Elijah has already flown, (laughs) ascended into heaven in a flaming chariot. So talk about rock star prophet. Again, there's a lot of things tonight that's going to sound like I'm making this up. I'm not making this up. Check it out. It's in your Bible. Flying, flaming chariot. So Elijah's gone, and he's left now with Elisha, and the story starts with one of Elisha's students. I'm curious, um, where are all my teachers in the room? Anyone who is currently or was a teacher? Where you at? I, yeah, I know I got a few. Yeah, so I always think about like what that feels like, that first class of the year when you've got all these like fresh students that are coming into your class, and I assume that every teacher has kind of a wide range of goals of what you're hoping for these students to accomplish. I figure on the low end is like not a felon, like would be a good goal for all of your students. And then somewhere in the middle is the goal of maybe one day they could become a peer with you, right? So you're a high school math teacher, and maybe one day one of your students would also be a high school math teacher. That'd be really cool. And then on the high end, there would be this goal that maybe one day one of your students could do even more than you've ever done. So you're a high school math teacher, and one day you have a student who designs a space shuttle. Like, that, that would be really cool. If you think about the relationship between Elijah and Elisha, Elisha is a best-case scenario student of Elijah. In 1 Kings, the Bible records seven supernatural miracles that Elijah performs, And then in 2 Kings, the Bible records 14 supernatural miracles that Elisha performs. So he goes on, he lives longer, he does twice as many miracles as his teacher. This is a best case scenario. 
by the time we get to chapter 4, we're now looking at a worst-case scenario for one of Elisha's students. One of his students has died. I'm sure I have a teacher in the room who has lost a student at some point. I know I have parents in the room who have lost a child at some point, and there is nothing more unnatural than a student dying before a teacher. It's not right. It's not the way that it should be. And that's where this story starts. The wife of the student says, My husband who served you is dead, and you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has, creditor has come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. This woman's bank account isn't just at zero. She is in the red. She is in debt and the creditors are coming for her. Today, my home mortgage is backed up by my house. So if I couldn't pay my home mortgage payment, well, eventually, Wells Fargo could come take my house. But Wells Fargo cannot come take my children. But this is not how it always was. So in a society and a time where you could purchase people, everything was collateral for anything. And so it was completely in their legal rights for these creditors to come and take the children of this widow. That she has lost her husband, she is deeply in debt, and now she is at the risk of losing her two sons. Talk about empty. Talk about alone. I bet you would feel empty. I bet you would feel like you have nothing left. And yet... Elisha asks a bizarre question. Elisha says, what do you have in the house? I'm sorry. I thought, I thought we had already established the emptiness of her house, right? If she had lost all of these things, why are we asking this woman what she has in the house? If she had $100 in the house, she would have already given it to the creditors. If she had a cow in the backyard, it would have already been sold this woman is at a very low point. She has given up everything. And so she replies, what's in the house? Nothing at all, comma. This is one of my favorite commas in scripture. So she says, I'm already empty. But then there's this comma. It's not a period. I want to share with you a spiritual truth tonight that I think you may not find comforting. If you feel empty today, there is a possibility that you are not yet empty enough. Elisha says, what do you have in the house? The woman replies, nothing at all, comma. Is it, is it really nothing at all? I'd like to imagine that this comma was about 10 seconds long as Elisha stares at her and gives her like a really world-class dad stare down. Is it really nothing at all? Is there nothing that you're holding back? Is there not anything that you have not yet poured out? Are you truly empty? She says, nothing at all, comma, except a flask of olive oil. Aha. She had lost so much, and yet there was something left that had not yet been poured out. Here's the question I want to ask you tonight. What do you have that is not yet poured out? What's still sitting in the cupboard? Is it pride? Is it your financial security? Is it resentment? Is it bitterness? Is it your image, your reputation, your self-reliance? 
I understand that we've all lost something. I understand that some of us have lost more than others. But if the king of kings comes knocking at your door, he's not going to ask what you've lost. He's going to ask what's in the house. What's still there? What have you not yet poured out? I want to say it this way. Until you learn how to be empty, you will never learn how to be full. Empty is a spiritual discipline. God will never pour out the oil of provision into a half-filled container. God only works with empty. Once Elisha hears that the widow still has something to pour out, Elisha tells the woman to start borrowing containers. What kind of containers? Empty containers. He doesn't say, oh, let's go see if your neighbors have some extra oil. Let's see if we can borrow. Maybe we can borrow some from them. He says, let's go see how many empty containers we can find first. Bishop T.D. Jake says it this way, God values vessels when everyone else values content. When everyone else goes out to buy perfume, God buys perfume bottles. Elisha's instructions in 2 Kings 4 are very similar to instructions that Jesus gives in John chapter 2. Jesus is at a wedding in Cana, and they've run out of wine. He doesn't say, well, let's go see where else we can find some wine. Let's go find some jars. Maybe there's some half-full jars of wine that we could go find. Jesus says, let's go find some empty containers. There's a kingdom principle here that I think we shouldn't miss. The only limitation to God's provision is the limited availability of empty containers. You know, wait, but, that, but, but God's resources are unlimited. Yes, his resources are unlimited, but he still needs somewhere to put them. There's a reason that God did not create animals on the first day of creation. If God would have created animals on the first day of creation, he would not have had anywhere to put them. God had to form the world first before he filled it. God needs to form you before he fills you. God is in, look, uh, in looking for empty containers. In Cana, there was six empty jars. So how many jars of wine did they end up with? Six. If there had only been four empty jars that day, how many jars of wine would they have ended up with? It wouldn't have been six. I want to make sure that God can always find as many empty containers as he needs. I want to make sure that when God goes looking at my house, that he finds empty containers. I want to make sure that when God goes looking at this church, he finds empty containers. I want to make sure that when it is his timing to pour out his spirit on this city, this nation, this world, that he doesn't have trouble finding empty containers. He's not going to look for beautiful containers or highly educated containers or physically fit containers or half-filled containers. He's looking for empty containers. The widow gathers every empty container she can find. Elisha tells her to shut the door. And then to start pouring. If you want to experience the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in a new way, in a renewed way, I would invite you to do the same. I would invite you to shut the door and to start pouring. It's so important that every Christian understands the power of being emptied and the power of being filled. If this is something that resounds with your spirit, if this is something that 
you are hungry for, thirsty for in your life, I want to recommend to you two locations that I think would be very, very helpful for you to accomplish this. That if the pathway to be filled, to be emptied and to be filled, is to shut the door and start pouring out, there's two places I want to recommend. And the first one is any Sunday night service or prayer-focused time here at this church. That when you have time that is spent at an altar in a group of people where there is prayer time not connected to a clock, that is a great place to be in. There is a lingering that happens there that allows you to take the time that is needed to pour yourself out to empty and to allow the Holy Spirit to fill you. Having the support of other people around you, praying with you, that makes a big difference. The other place that I would highly recommend would be any room in your house that no one else is in. That finding a spot in your house where no one else is in and you can take time without a clock nearby and pour yourself out. Shut the door and start pouring yourself out. You might find the things in your life that are still hanging out in the cabinet. You might find the things that he is still waiting for you to surrender to him, that you would be truly empty. And when you are truly empty, God wants to make you truly full. That is the goal of his kingdom. That is the provision that he has for every one of us. We talk about the oil of provision, and we listen to the story in 2 Kings. It's easy to pretend like it's about money, because you know, in her situation, what happens is she's able to sell all this oil. She's able to come with the money that she needs to put her life back on track. You know, the oil of provision is, it's not about the financial needs or any specific needs. It's about the, the deep, holistic needs that we have for our God. And the oil of provision is his spirit. He wants to pour out his spirit in your life and his plan to provide for everything in your life that you need is his spirit. This is his path for any need that you would call upon his name to be delivered. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus has already risen from the dead. He is standing on the Mount of Olives outside of Jerusalem and he is speaking. And as he's speaking, his feet lift off of the ground and he begins ascending into heaven. As this is happening, Jesus says, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water. But in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I want to remind you of the timeline. Penta, five, 50 days. And so after Jesus raises from the dead, the first 40 days... Jesus is appearing to people. He appears to over 500 people in multiple occasions during those 40 days. And at the end of 40 days is when Jesus stands on the Mount of Olives just outside of Jerusalem and he ascends into heaven. So if that's the first 40 days, then I have 10 days left until we get to 50 days when the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes for the first time in Acts chapter 2. In between 40 and 50 is 10 days what is happening for 10 days. For 10 days, you have about 120 people huddled together in a small, sweaty room praying together on that first day of Pentecost. But it wasn't just that day. For them, it wasn't day one. For them, it was day 10. And there's a spiritual precedence that exists here that there is time in this process. 
there's going to be a time investment that happens here for us to pour ourselves out to be truly emptied so that we can be truly filled. There's two truths that I am 100% convinced of tonight, and it's this. God wants to empty you out, and God wants to fill you. And God wants that for every single person in this room. And we're all at different places. You know, I understand that tonight, specifically, we've talked about a lot of supernatural things. And we've talked about a lot of stories in the Bible where things happen that your average science teacher will tell you that did not happen. And as we kind of circle around God's word, you know, we're all going to be at the same campfire, but we all might be in different places in our experience that there's going to be someone in the room tonight who this is the first conversation you've ever had about these type of supernatural things. And you might be asking lots of questions about, is this real? Could this be real for me? And if you're here tonight, I'm thrilled that you're here tonight. And I just want to encourage you to keep asking those questions and to know that if you don't have the same answer that I have, that does not mean that you are not welcome here. You are absolutely welcome here. I'm so glad that you're here. And then I've got other people that are farther down the road who would say, you know, I I believe this to be true, but I've yet to experience it in my life. So I've seen it for other people. I've seen other people have these experiences, but it hasn't happened for me yet. And if that's you tonight, I want to encourage you to make that a high priority goal in your life. You will never accidentally become emptied out. There will always be an act of self-determination to be empty. Elisha's going to come to your house and say, is there anything in the house yet? And you can just go, no, nothing at all, period. But I would challenge you to dig a little bit deeper. I would challenge you to go a little farther and say, you know, I've lost a lot, but I don't know that I've truly emptied myself out. I think there might be something left that still needs to be poured out for the glory of God, and to see his spirit filled in my life. And then I got other people that are over here who've been believing this now and who've been been believing this for a long time. I've got people in this room who I know every single day are celebrating the fullness of the spirit. And that shows up in their prayer life. It shows up in the fruit of the Spirit and the way that they act with the people that are around them, the way that they show God's love, the, the dunamis, the, the dynamite power that they have in evangelism is an effect of their uh, fullness in the Holy Spirit. And if that's you tonight, I just want to encourage you to keep coming to the well. The, the, the pattern of empty and full for the healthy Christian is a never-ending cycle. Because once you sit, if you put a a beautiful cup of water and you fill it up tonight and you put it at top of your sink and it's beautiful and fresh and you could drink it tonight and you would feel so good, if you let it sit there for 17 years, don't drink it. Because there is staleness that comes in those who are filled and who don't continue to empty themselves out. And that that cycle of emptied and full is God's plan for your spiritual health And I want to see that happen for you tonight. But far more importantly, that's exactly what your Heavenly Father wants for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're with us tonight. We thank you that you're in this place. And I pray, Lord, that you would be doing the good work that only you can do. I pray, Lord, for those that are in this room uh, who have the desire to be emptied out. And I pray, Lord, that in a spirit of humility, in a spirit of surrender, that you would allow us to pour it all out for you to give you everything, 
call us to a deeper level of commitment than we've ever had before. I pray that not just in this room, but in the rooms that follow and the drive home and in our prayer time at home, that you would teach us what it means to be truly emptied. And then I pray for fullness of spirit. Lord, you have a plan to provide for our lives and your provision is your spirit. And I pray that this room would be a room filled with full people, that we would be able to walk in the fullness of your spirit. And for those who are seeking after that, I pray, Lord, that you would give every good gift. I pray that we would be the empty containers that you're looking for to fill us up with your spirit and provide for us in every need that we have. We love you. I thank you for this good day, and I give you praise. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we see you in person. Join us Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. right here at Discover Church. Find us online at discoverchurch.org.